0: Good deal. All right. Okay. Praise God. We are going to be in Philippians chapter 2, the last part of chapter 2, kind of middle to the last part of chapter 2, and we're kind of working our way through the book of Philippians. This will be our last message until next Sunday is what? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is next week, and then Easter is the following Sunday. So, um, Gonna, we'll have messages kind of directed towards uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we're gonna wrap up the book of Philippians afterwards. So, um, and it all, I think, it all ties in really well together. So, so far in the book of Philippians, we've really talked about the partnership in the gospel because that word koinonia, uh, partnership in the gospel, is really a strong word within the book of Philippians. And so uh, Philippians is one of 13 letters, epistles, that Paul would write to churches and individuals in the New Testament. All right. Um, So Paul is writing uh, the book of Philippians from where? Prison. From prison, all right. So it is one of four letters he would write from prison. Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon would be the others. All right. And uh, so he writes there from prison. Um, He goes to the city of Philippi, And uh, you can read about that in the book of Acts, right around that uh, chapter 15, 16 area. Um, He ends up there because of a dream and a vision that God gave him. So it's on a second missionary journey. So if you have your paper version of the Bible, you usually have maps at the back. And they usually have Paul's missionary journeys in there. So if you haven't studied that, you might enjoy just kind of seeing, kind of doing a little history there and checking that out. All right, so, um, but we've talked about the importance of partnership in the gospel, and last week we talked about living with humility and being confident in your identity in Christ and being obedient even when it requires sacrifice, so things that Jesus did himself um, as an example for us, and those those points are important because what we're covering today is going to build right on top of that, Okay. It's kind of the foundation, and what we're talking about today is going to build right on top of that. And if you missed it, I would really encourage you to listen to it. Um, not the like the you know, it's not like I have all this wisdom and knowledge. It's just that it's just good stuff, especially the identity in Christ part. I think if if as a Christian, if you don't get that nailed down, um, it's just going to hinder your walk with Christ. The sooner we understand who we are in Christ. Um, it's just going to free us to live for God in a way that we never thought possible, all right? Um, So we're going to begin in chapter 12, not chapter 12, chapter 2, verse 12 through 13 is where we're going to begin. So before we begin, let's just bow our heads in prayer and invite God's presence. Father, we thank you for this day. It is a day that you have made. and We rejoice and we are glad within it. And Lord God, I pray that you would just as we study your word, make it come alive to us. Let it change and transform us. It is your living word, Lord, and we thank you. We praise you, Lord, and we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. 12 through 13. All right, let's read that together. And it says, therefore. So whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you ask. What it is there for, right? Right. All right, that wasn't really a trick question, but it kind of is. All right, you ask what it is there for, because what is about to be said is building upon what was just said. It's the connecting link between that. All right, so my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good promise. His good purpose in your life. Amen? And so Paul begins us by saying, therefore, so what he has just said about Christ, what has he just said? He gives us the example of Christ, right? And you have this description of the incarnation of Christ that He became flesh. He lived amongst us. And um, He gave up His power, okay, the omnis, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, almighty God. He gave those up so He could become human, And become a servant. He took on the attitude, the nature of a servant, and he ultimately would die upon the cross. And so what Paul is calling the believers in Philippi to do is saying, Hey, I want you to have that same attitude within your own life. That attitude of humility and obedience to God's word, and to have that servant's heart. Amen? He goes, I want you to have that. And then he comes to this and he says, Therefore, so that's connecting. I want he's saying basically Hey, as Jesus obeyed the Father, you also should obey your Father in heaven, right? As Jesus is now Lord, God's exalted him to the highest place, it says. His name is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Just as he is Lord, we should have him as the Lord of our lives. And he doesn't say this in a demanding way, saying, hey, you do this right? He says, therefore, my dear friends, my dear friends, a little more just friendly, warm, isn't it? My dear friends. Hey, as Christ did this, let's model his example. And he says, he calls us to do a few things. He says to not only obey in my presence, but obey in my absence. Now, if you are a parent. You know, it's one thing for your kids to obey you when you are there with them, right? Right? Now, when they are, well, you're not there, it's kind of always interesting what gets done and what doesn't get done, right? Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But you know maturity has taken place when you give them things to do and they obey it even when you aren't there. And it's kind of like, wow, they got it done. It's kind of like that is a day to celebrate, right? And to be excited because that has taken place. And so Paul is saying, you know what? I want you to obey not only in my, in my presence there, but even much more in my absence. And he says, continue to work out your salvation. Now that's an interesting phrase. Continue to work out your salvation. Is Paul meaning that we somehow can work towards our salvation? No, we can't. We are saved by grace through faith right? Ephesians 2.8.9. So we're saved by grace through faith. So what is he saying? Work out your salvation. Well, it literally means that we are to wrestle with Scripture and to understand God working in our lives. Okay, if I cut out again here, we'll have to switch something here, okay? Um, we have to continue to work in our lives that I can't just sit in my recliner and say, hey, God, I, I believe by faith and by grace that I'm saved. Now transform me, right? I'm going to sit in my recliner, and it's going to happen. No, I have to get into God's Word and study His Word, right? So it takes my part, but then God's Holy Spirit and His power works in my life to change and transform me. So it's a cooperation as we yield ourselves to God. Now, I, this idea of work out your salvation means to work through our lives. And so I I like to grill meat. And so Chris is going to put a picture up there. So I want you guys just to get a little bit hungry here. Oh, those are some nice good ribeyes that I cooked up for my wife. Mmm, They were good. They were good. And you can see the spices on there a little bit. And so what I like to do is at least season them the night before. Why? It gets through the meat, right? If you just put it on right before you grill, it kind of sits on the top, and it still tastes good. But if you can let it marinate in the spices overnight, it kind of works its way through the whole piece of meat, right? That's the same idea of what Paul is talking about here, is that if we can get the Word of God into our life, and so it's just not on the surface, but it actually, we meditate on it, memorize it, read it, on a daily basis, then it not only sits on the surface, it actually gets into our being. Okay? If all we get of the Word of God is Sunday mornings, hey that can be great, but it's not having that chance to work into our life throughout the week. Oh there <laughs> here I thought you were you were <laughs> I thought you were excited about what I said and <laughs> <laughs> It was good. you see how big that steak is? It's half the plate there, right? (laughs) All right. You're not going to be thinking at all about what I'm going to (laughs) say. All right. Looks good, doesn't it? In the same way, and it tasted good too. But, because it was seasoned in the seasons when we went through the steak. You know what? In the same way in your life, if you get God's Word into your life, your life is going to be pleasant and favorable to God. Amen? It's going to work into your life. Work out your own salvation. So it literally means engage with the Word of God. Let God completely transform your life as you get into it. You study it. You meditate it, on it. You memorize it. Memorization. How many, how many times have you heard somebody talk about memorizing Scripture lately? When I was young, that was something that people hit on Sunday school and on Wednesday nights to memorize. In fact, you had a memory verse, right? You remember those things? A memory verse. This is your memory verse. Verse 12 and 13. When you memorize it, it's with you wherever you go, right? You can be at work, wherever you're at. You're able to meditate on it and get it into your spirit and your heart then it transforms you. So the first principle there is engage God's word and be transformed. Engage God's word and be transformed. You know, as we highlighted today, Pastor Andy talked about God's word is powerful. And we believe that if you fully engage in God's word on a daily basis, it will transform your life. And some of you, I've had people say, I can read it, but I can't memorize it. It doesn't stick, okay? Okay, it doesn't stick. Some of you have told me that. You know what? One guy said, yeah, that's the way it is. Well, the, the pastor told him, he says, you know what? You, you know, my mind's kind of like a sieve, he says. You know, water goes in, the Word of God goes into my life, and it just leaks right through. And he says, well, at least you have a clean sieve, okay? All right. But I, I, I totally believe that the more we get God's Word into our life, eventually it does stick, and we are change, changed through. And I want you to just to see, look in Paul's life how it changed his life. Paul's writing this from prison, and when he's in Philippi, it wasn't the most, he had some hardships there. There was a lot of good things that happened in his life, but he had some hardships, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. But he has a lot to say about joy. In fact, chapter 4, we'll get there eventually, is going to talk about joy. But he calls us to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul doesn't say this flippantly. He says that even in the midst of difficulty and hardship, to rejoice in the Lord. So some of those songs that we sang today tie it in perfectly with this. That to raise a hallelujah, to give God the praise and the glory. That if the only time that we can give a hallelujah or a praise the Lord is when you know we win the lottery or you sh- well, hopefully you're not doing the lottery, but um, but you you know you get your tax return and go woo, you know I got my tax return. How many got your tax return? I had to do the opposite today this last year. So. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Um, but um, but if the only time that we re- can rejoice is when we get that good report, then that, that's happiness. But joy is really connected to our walk with God and being in God's Word and our relationship with Him. It really isn't based upon the circumstances of life. Um, Paul calls us to prayer and fasting. Um And so as we allow God's Word to work in our lives, we get into those things and we enjoy the power, the maturity, and the presence that comes through engaging God's Word. And our spiritual journey rarely just goes like a rocket, okay? I, I have never met anybody that's just gone like that. Because you go like this so far and then you go... And even in Scripture, people have these high points and then God takes them into the valley. Because where do you grow and where do you mature? On the mountaintop or in the the valley? Because then I have to trust God, right? God, where are you at? God says, trust me. I'm going to take you through it. Paul says in verse 1, verse 6 of chapter 1, he reminds us, and we covered this, he goes, I am confident that he who began a good work in you Will bring it to completion. All right? God will do what He's promised to do in your life. As we engage His word, He's gonna bring completion into our lives. He's gonna mature us. Verse 14. Paul then says, Do nothing out of grumbling and arguing. Verse 14, do nothing out of grumbling or arguing. Now, how many broke that already today? We're we're what, you know. A few hours into that, how many already just just totally blew that out of the water? All right, okay. You don't have to. You don't have to rat out your spouse or anything like that, or your dad or your mom or your kids. All right. Do nothing out of grumbling or complaining, arguing. So it seemed like maybe the believers there in Philippi were arguing and complaining about things, maybe amongst themselves. It sounds like but maybe even just to their circumstance in life because Paul's going through some hardships, but so were they. And You know, Paul had every reason to complain. He is falsely accused and he's in prison. His living conditions were not the best and he was confined. People were saying bad things about him and even taking advantage of his misfortune. Some churches that he had helped start were questioning his authority and were even, um, even his standing before God because of his circumstance. Paul had reason to complain, right? Argue. Yet Paul mentions rejoice over ten times in this short letter of four chapters. Ten times he says rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. You know, right now we probably have a reason to complain, whether it was uh, the lingering effects of COVID I'm still a little bit bitter that you can't find stuff on the store shelves, whether it is motor oil or shoes. If you want to get a pair of Asics shoes, it's kind of like, we don't have them. We got them on the shelf. You just can't get them in the store. Almond milk. What's that thing with, I went to the almond milk. It was out a whole week. It's kind of like, I don't know. Almonds quit growing? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. And then there's other things that are there, and then other things that just aren't there. And And now... Feel like COVID is maybe behind us and now we're paying at the pump, right? Paying at the pump. And I got a diesel pickup, that's a buck more than ever all the gas, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And the groceries, we're getting it there, right? You know, um so we have reason to complain too. Maybe you have been, right? You're at the pump and you're just kinda you know, you just kinda like got that low grumble. Um, you know um, and then arguing nobody ever argues at Radiant Springs Church I've never heard anybody argue you know but there are times you know that uh, you know there's times that I ask hey can you help th- do this do that and usually everybody has a good attitude and every once in a while I kind of sense oh, I'm pushing their limits a little bit right but we can argue we can complain can't we whether at home, at work, at school, at church. There are going to be things that we enjoy doing and there's things we don't like to do. What do you think Jesus did when God the Father says, "Hey, I got a plan to save mankind." And then it involves you. Jesus says, "Okay, I'm listening." And he says, "Yeah, you're going to become human, and you're going to dwell amongst them, and you're going to have know what a hunger is like and in fact, you're even going to know what pain is like, right? You're going to In fact, I'm going to ask you to die upon a Roman cross. And Jesus, even on the night he was betrayed, right, he says, Father, if there's any other way, please, I'm all ears, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus had reason to complain before God the Father, and yet he obediently went to the cross. The second principle is live with a joyful heart. Live with a joyful heart. And when things are well, I mean, this is kind of like, it's not a hard thing. But when you're in the valley in much of life, living with a joyful heart, it is something that we have to develop within our own life. Rejoicing, will it change your circumstances? I don't know. Sometimes it does. It doesn't always change your circumstances, but it changes your attitude, right? It changes your attitude. Now, complaining may not change your, your circumstances either, and guess what? It, does, it hurts your attitude, right? It makes you bitter. It makes you, oh, I don't want to be around them, right? right? So why? An example of this, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and got, people are getting saved, and great things are happening. In fact, there's a servant girl that is d- demonic, possessed, allowed her to predict the future. And uh, Paul realizes after, after a while that this woman, something wasn't right and what was happening. So they pray for her. The demon's gone. She's set free. Everybody was there just praising God, right? Well, they all thought it was pretty cool except for the people that owned her. And they said, you know what? We just lost our livelihood. She no longer can do what she could do beforehand. And so they get the crowd worked up. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. They're flogged before they're doing that. If you want to know what flogging is, is you're whipped, right? Um, your back is laid bare. You're whipped. And so they're... Th- All right, here we go. So they're thrown in prison. And... Um, what do they do? They praised Him, right? Their back is laid open. You know, their skin is probably... I'm serious, right? Being from William Whipped, there's big gashes in their back. Um, their hands and their feet are in stocks, right? Shackles. And there they are. They had every reason to complain and argue. You know, Paul says, Man, you know, if you wouldn't have done that... and." Set that woman free and cast out that spirit. We wouldn't be here, Paul. Right? Can you imagine that? Right? Arguing and complaining. But there they were. They were praising God. You know, in in that situation, it did change their circumstance because as they praised God through the night, they were ministering to the people who were there. And all of a sudden, God sends an earthquake. The place is shaken. The prison doors fly open. Their shackles fall off. And when the jailer realizes what's happened, he's going to take his own life. But he, then they say, "Hey, we're all here." So he goes, "Whew! Don't have to do that." And um, and then he, he he then what? He gives his life to Christ, and his whole family is saved. They're baptized. So in that circumstance, rejoicing did change their circumstance. They still had sores on their back. They probably still had bruises on their wrists and their ankles from the shackles. But that day God was glorified and people came to know Christ. And they were escorted out of town with favor. They were exonerated because Paul is a Roman citizen. So they were falsely, they, they couldn't be whipped and, and put in jail without a trial. And so um, they were kind of escorted out of town in a very friendly manner. So, the second point, live with a joyful heart. Number, Let's go to verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped, say warped, and crooked, say crooked, generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly the word of life. So the name of the message is like stars in the sky. So you ever been to your home improvement store and you need some two-by-fours? You know, and you look down them, and when I think of warped and crooked, I often think of the <laughs> lumber yard as some of them. Some of them are very straight, and you have to kind of look through them, right? You look down them, it's kind of like, uh, that, that one's no good. And usually I end up finding one out of five that's good, okay? And you just make a pile of the ones that are bad. They're warped and crooked. I can't use them. But how many would describe our world as warped and crooked and dark? Yeah. Guess what? It was the same back then, wasn't it? And God calls us to live a blameless life that even includes no arguing and complaining. Now, you may not throw that into the category of being bad and evil and unblameless, but Paul does. He says, I want you to be so blameless that there's not even arguing or complaining amongst you. I want you to be live a pure and holy life that gives God glory and praise. That's pretty pretty cool, huh? Wow. That's raising the standard of holiness there, isn't it? includes our speech. You know, and a common expression is that nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect, okay? That's true. But don't let that be an excuse to sin and let your guard down. The Galatians were notorious for that. They said, hey, God's grace is there so I can just keep on sinning because the more I sin, the more God's grace abounds, right? And Paul says, no. You're enslaving yourself all over again. I've set you free from that. Don't take advantage of that. Set yourself free. You know, we probably will sin until the day we die, but we should sin less and less every day as God works in our life. The goal is to become more like Christ. And so the third principle is be blameless and shine like stars in the sky. You know, stars, what makes them pop? They're bright, but you don't see them during the day, do you? Why do you see them at night? Because it's dark. And that's what God wants us to be, like stars in the sky. The yes, the world may be dark around us, and it may be pulling us to fall into temptation and to cover up that light, to dim that light, to, to somehow pollute that light. But God wants us to be pure and blameless so that we shine like a star in a night sky that is brilliant, that is beautiful. Our lives are to shine in a dark world. Even if it's corrupt, even if it's evil, we are to shine. By being like Christ, we will be like stars that pop, showing the goodness of God. And Paul says, as a result of applying these three principles to our life, uh, people are going to look at our life. Looks at look at verses sixteen. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain. So Paul is saying, hey, how you live your life is going to be a little bit a testimony of what I did. Right? He goes, if 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 you guys don't come through, it's going to like I ran in vain. All right. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you. And you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Um, Just see the maturity there, Paul. Twice in those two verses there, he says rejoice and rejoice with me. He calls us to rejoice. I want to close with a, um, a story. So it looks like Yolanda, all right, you already switched, all right. You don't have to come up quite yet, but um, this is a story. It's not a true story, but it's a story. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a crude life-saving savi- station. Woo, that's a little bit tough. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea And with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. And some of those that were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and to give of their time, their money, and their effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy, the building was so crude and poorly equipped. And they felt that a little more comfortable place should, provide, should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds, and they put in better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a little popular gathering place because it well, we kind of served as a club. Fewer members now were interested in going out to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do its work. And the life-saving motive was still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was even a liturgical lifeboat that was in the room where they did the club's orientations. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick and from various ethnic backgrounds. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property um, committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. Catching the analogy here? At the next meeting, there was a split in the club's membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities. They saw as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of those various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could go begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred In the old one, it evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that coastline today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drowned. You know, God has called us to be a light in this area of Nebraska and around the world. And and right now, one of our own, Christy Bai, is in Africa sharing in churches. And you can just lift her up in prayer. We prayed for her last Sunday, uh, but she's there. God has called us to be a light, and even sometimes a dark world, and to let our light shine before Christ and have the musicians come. He has provided salvation to us all, and it is our job to share that story with all that we know. You know, in that story that I shared, it was fictional, but it, it kind of touched upon a truth that I believe that the church churches deal with still today, right? That the longer we become established, the, the easier it becomes to lose focus of our mission what God has called us to do. That's why we hit it every Sunday, and I know I hope that hitting it every Sunday we don't lose track of it at even then. But we have to keep it in front of us that God has called us to lead, love, and connect people to a life-changing relationship with Christ. It should impact what we do with our facility. It should impact what we do for our programs and our activities. Um, It should impact how we live our life when we go out of this place. Um, People are still drowning. They don't have Christ. And God has given us the message of hope to offer them. Amen? And, you know, Easter, why do we put so much emphasis upon Easter? Because the, whatever it is about Easter, people, they may not come the rest of the year, but they'll maybe come on an Easter Sunday. And I think last year we actually had more people that were guests that were part of our congregation. And it was pretty cool. And we're believing God for the same this year even more. Um, But it's not just me or Pastor Andy. It's all of us. What made last year successful is that each of us were inviting people. And it was kind of cool to see that. And uh, people came. We had a great Sunday. People heard Christ. We saw people in um, part of our congregation stick and come back. So that's cool. That's what God's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Would you stand this morning? We're going to close with that course, Mighty to Save. Mighty to Save. If you don't know Christ, God loves you with an everlasting love. And uh, I trust that... um, You'll find one of us, my either myself, Pastor Andy, or we're going to be up here for prayer this morning. And um, if you say, hey, that's me, I've just never vocalized it. I've never said, hey, God, come into my heart my life. I, I don't know what it is to have my sins forgiven. Today's your day. Today's your day. And so I encourage you to make your way forward. And if you have a prayer request or need, we want to pray for you this morning. Uh, and just lift that up. But just let me just lead you in a prayer before we close with this song. Father, today is a beautiful day, and I was just reading in the verse of the day that there's, in the name of Jesus, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, except for the name of Jesus. And Lord God, today could be somebody's day of salvation, Lord. And, and so, Lord God, if that if that's hitting home with somebody today, whether on watching online. Um, if you'd reach out to us on the Connect card and the loop bulletin, that would really help us out so we can pray with you and just help you in that journey. Um, or whether we're here. And you just said, hey, I, I, I want to know that. We want to pray with you today. And Lord God, I pray that you can also challenge each of us here today, Lord God, to work out this God's salvation in our life as we engage God's word. And and even as we just watch what we grumble and complain about, to rejoice in you, Lord God. And to be faithful in what you've called us to do, dear God. To be faithful. So, Lord God, we give you the thanks, we give you praise, and we ask it in your name. Amen.